Erasing Family, a documentary about divorce, custody, and being alienated. What happens when separations become permanent? Ginger Gentile, director of Erasing Family, joins us to tell us about this important issue. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Hello, listeners. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much for making this show part of your day. we got a great episode for you today. It's a very important topic. And before we get to that, I want to thank our good sponsor for making this program possible, NOTA. NOTA is powered by M&T Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IALTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit trustnota.com forward slash legal to learn more. That's NOTA, N-O-T-A. Terms and conditions may apply. All right, let's get back into it. I want to welcome our guest, Ginger Gentile. She's the director of Erasing Family, a very powerful documentary about divorce and family separations. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I got to give kudos to whoever writes your press release because it drew us in right away. I asked uh, my producer, Molly McDonough, to reach out to you immediately. And I just thought really well written, a perfect, you know, real brief, got right into the issue, but compelling. And I think that carried through to your documentary. I did get a chance to watch it on Amazon. And I think, you know, in addition to the wonderful establishment shots, you have these beautiful backgrounds in there. The big takeaway for me is how good you all are at communicating. And I really felt the pain uh, coming from these families that were featured in your documentary. So I want to give you compliments for that. It's a gift to communicate that. Well, thank you so much. It was amazing to work with these families and also quite difficult to find them because, as you can imagine, when we were making the Erasing Family documentary to find families who wanted to talk about their messy divorces and the disintegration of their family and all they were doing to try to change this was quite difficult because so many people don't want to go on camera because there's so much shame around what is actually a very common issue, which are parents being kept out of their kids' lives after divorce and separation. I think your documentary does that really well. It shows how commonplace this is. And as I understand it, this was a personal issue for you, so much so that you moved across the world following a family divorce. So can you tell us about that? You know, tell us about sort of the the gist of erasing family and why it was so important to you to make this documentary. Of course. Like many kids, my parents went through a very stressful and painful divorce. And as also in a lot of situations, the fighting got worse after the divorce. So I think we have this dream, and I had a dream as a kid that my parents would stop fighting after the divorce. I was actually happy when the divorce was finalized. And I found that the fighting continued for many years, actually decades. And kids are put in the middle. They're asked to take sides, to pick sides. I remember for me, it was who gets to go to your eighth grade graduation because we both can't be in the same room together. And children should never be asked to choose. And these things are seen as very common or putting a child in an adult position. And what's really tragic is as a society, we don't educate parents as to how harmful this can be. But what's even worse, because people may act out of hurt, spite, they may be repeating trauma from their past, they may be crazy, whatever. But when we go to figures of authority, which in this case are the family courts, they should help put these families back together, say the marriage has dissolved, but parenting is forever. But instead, what the family courts do is they throw families into an adversarial process. So in order to win, 
and to win custody of the children, which often comes with a lot of financial rewards, you have to say everything bad you can about the other parent during a trial. And this is the worst possible situation because you are putting families who are going through so much pain and hurt and increasing the hurt and pain. So I refer to family courts often as trauma factories. There's a lot of great people working in them, but the system is designed to encourage fighting as opposed to encourage getting along and reaching a mutual decision. So bad situations become worse. Yeah, I think that's well said. And, uh, you know, one, one of the elements that jumped out at me was that these courts that are intending to solve a problem in some ways are creating it. And uh, you talk about this kind of slowly uh, by sharing the tales, but uh, you coined this term uh, erased. And so this is part of your marketing campaign. This is part of the, the communication and connecting people that are going through a very similar issue. So, and it means a lot of things as you portray uh, in, the, in the documentary, but, you know, specifically, you know, what does it mean to be erased from your family? So in the film Erasing Family, we use the term erase to accompany a lot of behaviors because often what people try to do is they try to blame one parent for bad-mouthing the other parent or keeping the child from seeing that parent. And we want to talk is that parents and by extension, the whole extended family can be erased by a parent, a step-parent, a grandparent, the family court, everybody working together in some cases. And what I would say in the worst cases, it's talking to children, and you see some of this in the film, who we will refer to their mom as my egg donor or my birth mother. Wow. Even though they live with that mother for 18 years, they refer to their dad as their sperm donor. They say it's just blood and DNA. And there's a very poignant letter in the end where she says it's just blood and DNA and nothing else. So in the extreme cases, it's you don't even exist as a parent. I've replaced you with a step-parent. I replaced you with my new family. And in more subtle cases, it could be, well, I prefer not to have you in my life. You, I don't really need, see you as a parent. I see you as somebody who's annoying to me. It's always important to remember, we're talking about things a child is made to feel in response to the stress of divorce, which have no basis in reality. And what amazed me about one story in the film, Brian, is he decides to be adopted by his stepmother. So he literally erases his mother. At one point, we see the birth certificate, which I didn't know, and he didn't know either. When you're adopted, they issue you a new birth certificate. So the stepmother says, look, it's like I birthed you. If someone looks you up, they're going to think I'm your mother. And she makes a joke. They're going to think you had a teenage mom. And What's very interesting is when I talked to him, I said, well, what was, what did people say about your mom? What awful things were they saying? And he said, oh, nothing really. You know, they said maybe she's a little unstable, but it was just so stressful to see her. It was just easier not to see her, not have her in my life. Yeah, I want to build this out a little more. And so it starts, as you all kind of laid out, it starts with uh, words. It, it starts with descriptions and then it turns into actions and then truthfully, these uh, family members become alienated because you sort of poison the well within the family. And so as you as you were indicating there, it's, you know, talking about the un- instability of one parent and that sort of walks the, the child down this road. Like maybe that's not the best person for me to be living with. And it all kind of snowballs from there. So mm-hmm. let, let's go from the words turning into these overt actions. You talked about adoption, but there's also some other court procedures that get in the way of parents spending time with their kids. Exactly. So the words are very subtle. And I think this is where the public education comes in because parents don't know how little things such as, oh, I'm so sad when you go see your mom. I wish you would just stay with me. 
you don't like seeing your dad, do you? It's kind of stressful, right? He Does he prepare lunch the way you want? So putting these seeds in the kid's head report back. And just by creating a stressful situation or conflict, so having custody exchanges where there's fighting going on, those little things without a campaign of denigration can affect the way a child sees a parent and make them not want to see them. Because if they live with one parent and it's very clear they're rewarded for not wanting to see the other parent, they're going to say, I don't want to see the other parent out of survival. Now, over time, some kids will just say that and not really believe it. And some kids will begin to believe that. And we saw that in the film, A Racing Family, with two sisters, one who never really believes what she's being told about her dad and around 18 decides to figure out on her own. And her sister, well into her late 20s, says, my dad isn't my dad. I have my stepfather who raised me. He's my dad. So this can differ even greatly with two siblings. And while the film has some stories with adoption, it's I was shocked how common and easy it is for step-parent adoption to happen in the U.S. There are a lot of other procedures as well, but the easiest procedure is you have a custody or a visitation order and you don't follow it. And it is very hard to get these orders enforced. That is the easiest thing to do is just not give the kids to the other parent. And then the other parent has to go hire a lawyer and fight this in court. So that's the simplest thing to do is just let time play itself out, let the times extend. And while the child doesn't see the other parent, you can then coach them and coax them to dislike that parent. And then in other procedures, it's fighting for sole custody. And in a lot of states, children as young as 12 can request to not see the other parent. And then for no reason, a judge can go along with it and say, yeah, you don't have to see your other parent ever again. Now, we all know that divorce is a very uh, traumatic experience, and obviously you have a family that's uh, splitting apart, and uh, obviously traumatic for the children, you know, obviously for the parents as well. And I think the additional strain to parents is because they know, you know, because they have greater life experience what this means. And so in addition to the prospect of losing their spouse, their their life partner, right, they're, you know, facing this, this uh, division in their family. It's not ever going to be the same. And then you pile that on top of uh, financial fears. You know, what's going to happen to our house? What's going to happen to our shared assets? You know, what's going to happen to our lifetime of work? And you're putting parents through you know, quite a pressure cooker. And so I, what I want to ask you, just based on your experience and you know, talk with all these families, you know, how much of this, this alienation process is done on purpose to win a victory versus how much of it is just acting out out of just fear? That's a great question. I think there is no way to know an exact percentage. I would say that in the, the cases that aren't as severe, it's a parent acting out of anger, revenge, or because they want a monetary reward. So in a lot of states, if you have more custody time, you get more child support. You might have access to the house and more assets. So that's working on, but in the really tough cases, these parents are reliving childhood trauma. They often had this happen to them, and this is what they think is normal or they suffer from a mental illness or a personality disorder. And those are the cases that are really tough because they don't respond to logic or even consequences. And there are ways to help these families, but an adversarial court process isn't the way because as you pointed out, it's very costly, it's time consuming. And to me, the most shock, one of the most shocking things I, I found out when I made the film, A Racing Family, is that a judge said he had 2,000 cases on his docket. 
And judges, it, this depends on the jurisdiction, but for the most part, there is no requirement that they're trained in child psychology. A lot of them say they don't want to read new scientific research because it feels it makes them biased. So as one researcher, Jennifer Harmon, said in the film, Jennifer Harmon, judicial discretion is just another word for bias because you're not using science-based evidence to decide these cases. And what the science says is that parents, when they're fit, and most parents are, they should have equal time with their kids. So instead of using the science, judges may like moms more, they may like dads more, they may have racial biases, and these become decisions. And in lots of states, judges don't have to justify their decision at all. So it could be for any reason. I got to say, there were two particular moments in this documentary that really pulled at my heartstrings. And this this was centered around the reasons why families separate. And I, I want to start with the kids. And so there's this, this adversarial process at play within the court system that kind of forces a choice on them. They're going to have to choose. We hope you're enjoying our conversation about erasing family with its director, Ginger Gentile. We'll pick up right where we left off in the next episode when I ask her about the heartbreaking reasons that children decide to live with one parent over another. And also why some parents give up on visitation and custody even after a contentious divorce is over. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Have a great day, everybody.